0: As a community, thank you for the word that you have put on Joe's heart. Please help us to all get ready to hear it and to learn more about your word and have faith and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes, when uh, the way Jen gives announcements and the way Megan leads worship, it's like you've already gotten a sermon. We can just go home early. <laughs> but luckily for them, we've got something good today from the Gospel of Mark. We're continuing with this series on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, By the way, if you're not following Mark the Evangelist on Twitter, at MarkTheEvangel1, you need to do that. You're missing out on a lot. These messages actually start Sunday afternoon when I get home and he starts tweeting. So So, this week, the message is called Ears to Hear, part one. This is going to be a two-part sermon. So if you're here this week, you are required to be here next week at risk of salvation. It's a joke. <clears throat> sort of all right so <laughs> i have a confession to make and it is centered around this beast right here the rubik's cube how many of you have ever solved the rubik's cube you lying sacks of garbage You never. <clears throat> i i personally have never solved it and never even got close i got like one side and then like one and a half rows all the way around and then just a bunch of cuss words afterwards because I couldn't get it. I have, however, at times when I was younger, peeled off the stickers. Raise your hand if you've ever peeled the stickers off. There we go. But later on, I got a lot more advanced in my Rubik's Cube solidness and I learned how to take it apart and put it back together. Anybody ever done that? No, I solved it. Look, it's right here on my desk, right there. To this day, the Rubik's Cube has just Never, And I'm not stupid, I don't think, but it's just never clicked with me. The secret to solve it remains a mystery. And it probably always will because, frankly, years ago I gave up. Have you ever had, though, I I can imagine what it would be like one day if I just picked it up and I was, boy, okay, I'm just going to try. And I started doing it and all of a sudden it clicked for me. And I, oh, now I get it. I'd be having fun. I'd be, I'd be, you know, live watch party on Facebook or whatever as I saw that, you know. And, and so, but have you ever had one of those moments in your life when a mystery was somehow revealed? A revelation that was so profound it made you realize that the way you had been looking at things all along, all before, the way you had thought about things was completely wrong a moment of epiphany that brought immense satisfaction and maybe even some comfort when something puzzling became crystal clear. And that, frankly, is the nature of this portion of Scripture from Mark. It is the Rubik's Cube of theology. I thought that was pretty clever right there, what I just said, the Rubik's Cube (laughs) of theology. So there are two places in Mark where he spends a lot of time on Jesus' teaching. A lot of Mark is quick-moving. He went here, then he went there, and three or four verses at a time. Mark chapter 4 is different. It's a very long, expanded teaching. And there's only one other place where he actually does expanded teaching, and it's in chapter 13. So there's two places where Mark abandons the quick Twitter feed type of approach to the story of Jesus, and he goes in depth. So if Mark does that, And by the way, it starts here, this first one, and goes for 30 verses. There are several different parables, but they all have one main Rubik's Cube type of truth. So if Mark takes time to focus on these teachings, and it's a complete diversion from his normal strategy, don't you think you probably should listen? His emphasis here means that Mark believes this is a very important passage. And we're going to have to take two weeks to cover it. So let's look at the first 13 verses of the passage. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it in the sea. Remember, he's done that once before to get away from the crowd. <clears throat> and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teachings, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along a path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up. But since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and an increasing, yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. Interesting line. That's very, it's key to this whole chapter. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Well, Jesus says some mean things, doesn't he? (laughs) So that they indeed see but not perceive that they may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven that's harsh she says i'm giving you these secrets but to them they don't hear it and don't understand because if they did they would turn and be forgiven well that's antithetical to the jesus we think we know and he said to them do you not understand this parable how then will you understand all the parables He's saying, look, once you get this one, everything else I've said will fall into place like a Rubik's Cube. Once you understand this one, things will make sense. And so the tweet this week, uh, Mark the Evangelist, he's talking about, Jesus says he's sowing seeds on different types of soil. Most of the crowd didn't get it, but disciples were asking him to clarify what they think they heard. Sounds like Jesus says only certain people will believe the gospel. And then he Googled a pick of a guy throwing seeds, so he's very good at Google that, Mark. <clears throat> Three applications in each passage, history, theology, and personal. Let's look at the history. I want to talk about seizing the moment. So we have Jesus here who is this very resourceful rabbi. Remember what's going on here. Set the scene. There are crowds that are in the tens of thousands. We know that because in one of the other Gospels there's a recording of the feeding of the 5,000 and that just counted the men. When you add the women and the children, it's at least 20, 25,000 people. And this happens regularly now on a regular basis. He's doing his thing and the crowd gets so big that he has to get onto a boat off the shore to see the people and address them so they don't crowd him. And that's what he does here. This is something that no other rabbi has ever thought of. Frankly, because no, ever, no other rabbis ever had to get away from the crowd that wanted to hear him that was so big that he has to preach from a boat. The water would have this amplification effect as it comes off the lake surface and goes onto the hillside. And I've I've been to the place where they think this sermon took place and there's a shore and then the hill embankment like this. So people could come down. They could almost sit like in a stadium kind of feel. And he'd be on the water. The, The sound, if you've ever been on the water, you know, sound can travel across the water really far. So he's on the water. The sound comes off the water, up the hillside as people are listening. In addition, Jesus has spent a lot of time with this crowd. He knows the region really well. He grew up there. And from there, he knows his audience. And so like any good communicator would, and he's the best ever to walk the earth, he uses tools and examples that would relate to the audience who's trying to listen. Enter the idea of parables. Let me tell you what a parable is. That's the Greek word, parabole. It means a comparison, parallel, alongside, parallel. That's where we get the word para. means side by side. Parable, a comparison of one thing with another, placing one thing alongside another. That's all a parable is. And that's when he says the kingdom of heaven is like a seed and a sower. The kingdom of heaven is like wheat in the tares. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. The kingdom of heaven is like, and he uses parables to say the kingdom of heaven is like this. There are over 60 parables in the New Testament. In Matthew and Luke, and there's a few in Mark. And Jesus' parables all throughout the New Testament are extremely effective because here's why, guys they're simple. They're intended to make truth understandable and accessible. They don't have these high minded, falutin meanings, these, these things that are really hard to understand. They're straightforward stories communicating clear, simple, spiritual truth. It doesn't take a Dr. Gillespie to get them. (laughs) Now you may, listen carefully, you may not like the truth, but that doesn't mean it's something that's not obvious. Jesus seizes a unique opportunity to lay out What he himself declares in this passage, he declares this as the most foundational teaching of his whole ministry. This is the reason I'm here to teach this particular message. Here's what I have to say. This is the first and I think the most important foundational parable of all because that's what Jesus said. If you get this one, you'll get all the other ones. It is called the seed and the sower. Now some, actually most in the region here are involved in agriculture in some way or another. And it's a very relevant analogy that he's using. And this wasn't in a super efficient way to sow seeds because there's no equipment. There's no tractors. There's no ways for them to to go through and go to a field and plant seeds. So what they had to do is they would have a bag of seeds. They would take their hand and they would throw it all over the place indiscriminately throwing it, trying to cover every inch of the field. In the corners, where maybe they aren't kept up as well, well, right where the field uh, goes up against the road, where it's trodden underfoot and people are there, he's throwing in different places, some places in the field, the soil's not very deep. They would slowly cast them out, small seeds all around, so you can't really control where they all land. They go from one edge of the field to the other, along the roads, Then what they would do is afterwards, after they've sown all the seeds and they've done as good a job as they can throwing it around, thousands and thousands and thousands of seeds, as many as maybe would be on a hillside listening to Jesus preach. Then they would plow behind them, try to get the seeds off and underneath, burying the seed in the soil as best as they could. And then they wait after all that work throwing seeds wherever they can, plowing it up as best they can. Then all they have to do is now just hope for a good rainy season because there's no irrigation technology. Then they'll see which seeds grow and which seeds won't, where in the land it's not working, where it is. And Jesus explains that there are tens of thousands of seeds that are sown and there were only one of four circumstances that they would actually grow. We will discuss that next week. That is not the topic for this week. We'll explain that next week. So he he does this parable about the seed and the sower, and the disciples say, wait, he said what? See, Jesus explains that while the sower will throw the seeds everywhere, only the seeds that fall on fertile soil will grow. And the disciples are a little bit perplexed, and they want further clarification. See, I don't think they were asking, wait a minute, Jesus, we don't get it. Now, I think, because they had ears to hear, I think they understood it. They just didn't like it. They don't like what they just heard. What do you mean? Only some will follow Jesus? That's not the point of your ministry. Isn't it for everyone? Don't you want everyone to follow? See, here's what's going on. There is a superficial fascination with Jesus as evidenced by the crowds. But there's not many real followers true believers. They're likely already, these disciples, perplexed as to why so many are hanging out with Jesus, but yet they're still resisting his claim that he is made of being Messiah. Why can't you guys just see it? Surely, sooner or later, Jesus is going to preach another message, heal enough people that everybody will come into line. I mean, the nation of Israel at this point, everybody knows, it is politically and spiritually in a situation where they have great anticipation of Messiah. They want to be rescued from the Roman Empire. They are waiting for the Chosen One of God. And here he is, and clearly it is, right? He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's preaching unbelievable sermons in the synagogue that the religious people get upset at. People say that they are marveling at his teaching. There are tens of thousands of people following him, and they can't see that he's Messiah? What is wrong with them? Here he is. Why is it this way? This is our opportunity for national repentance. Where is our national redemption, people? And so I'm sure the disciples were thinking, at some point there's going to be just a massive flood of disciples, just like us. I mean, it's clear to them who Jesus is. They believe who he is, who he says he is. He has command of truth. He has healing, the power over evil. And they have given up everything to follow him. And frankly, it wasn't that hard of a choice. The scripture says they left their nets and their money-changing tables and everything they did immediately. Piece of cake. This is not rocket science. He's Messiah. I'm going with him. What's wrong with the rest of them? See, they are assuming the whole crowd is on the same path that they are. But in this parable, Jesus clearly indicates, no, they're not. They are not on the same path. So they ask Jesus to clarify this troubling yet simple parable And what Jesus intends to do is change their paradigm of what the kingdom looks like. So let's talk about the spiritual side of this. What does Jesus do? He is divisive. Divisive Jesus. More on this later, but first I want to talk about theology 101. Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable, none of the others are going to make sense. So Jesus saying, listen to me, this is a very crucial teaching. The parable of the wheat and the tares, the mustard seed, the dragnet, all those other parables, those famous parables you hear about the Good Samaritan, all those parables, they all start right here. Church, are you listening to me? This is the genesis, the foundation of good theology. It is crucial and critical for you as a Christ follower to pay attention to something your Jesus says is so important. Do you have ears? Again and again, he explains, I am not here to be a unifier. I didn't come to bring peace. Remember when he talked about family last week? It is undeniable. Jesus was not a unifier. He said himself he came to separate the wheat from the tares. This is, in fact, Genesis 3.15, the tension between the woman's seed and and Eve and the serpent, the two seeds set against each other. Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy of Jesus Christ. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent, Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Wait a minute, the serpent has offspring? Interesting. The serpent has a seed? And her offspring? He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. From the very beginning, it was a divisive Jesus message. There are two seeds here, one of the serpent and one of the woman. And what Jesus does in this is he does something that is very troubling, frankly, for a lot of theological systems that are alive today. And that is this, Jesus is hiding truth. See, the disciples heard what Jesus said. They just had trouble accepting it. I mean, their question wasn't out of ignorance. Wait, Jesus, let me get this right. We've been following you around. We're serving you. You're healing all these people. These thousands and thousands of people are following you. You mean not all these people see you as we see you? Don't you want them to follow you, Jesus? I thought you wanted all this. Please explain. What Jesus was doing, and get, this is beautiful. This is just beautiful. What Jesus was doing, he was teaching a private, coded message to his disciples in front of tens of thousands of people. He says, I speak in parables, so they won't hear it, but the truth is for you to hear. It's like thousands of people, and he's talking to some special ones. You ever been in that situation where somebody has the attention of everyone and they're talking about you, to you, in a great way? Jesus himself says in this passage, and you can't deny it, I'm sorry, he says mean things, He says that he uses parables to hide kingdom truth from outsiders. He actually uses the word outsiders. He uses parables to hide kingdom truth from outsiders and reveal it to insiders. This was nothing new. Isaiah actually communicated this concept about God hiding truth in the Old Testament, a passage, by the way, that every good Jew would know, Isaiah 6.10. Make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with the ears and understand their, with their hearts and turn and be healed. Do you like that? Would you rather just go ahead and cut that out of the scripture? Would that make it easier for you? Wouldn't it? See, hiding the truth, apparently, I mean, how many times do you just say, go and don't tell anyone? Hiding truth apparently is just as important to Jesus as revealing it. Question Why do you think that is? And do you like that about your Jesus? Or do you hate it? This is a problem, isn't it? Which brings us to the personal part of this message ears to hear. And we do have a problem. I mean, for a guy who many assign qualities of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and accept, acceptance, he sure says some mean, tough, hard, divisive things, and you cannot deny that, can you? So, what do you do with this? What would you tell you? What? Let me ask. What would you like this parable to mean? From your human perspective, what would you like it to say? What would bring you the most comfort? Clearly, it's not what he's intending to say, right? I mean, it's really hard to deny what Jesus is saying here, is it? Is it just me? He is preaching a message that gives the answers to the mystery of why all people wouldn't just run and trust him. And this parable, this problem, is very problematic for two groups of people. Those that think man has the power to make the choice, and those that think Jesus is here to save everyone that ever lived. I mean, clearly, if that's his goal, then all those tens of thousands would have been saved, right? The scripture is pretty clear. Some of them left blinded with deaf ears. You see, here's the problem, church. Most people don't want to accept how Jesus saw his work. He wasn't here just to bring new truth. Luke 13, 23 and 24. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Hey, question, church, do you like this Jesus? Do you like him? Does this Jesus jive with the Jesus you think you know? Do you think I like saying this stuff? It doesn't make for a big, happy, warm, fuzzy church service, does it? But I can't sugarcoat it. It's in the Word. I just got to tell you what it says. Does this sound like the same Jesus... They wouldn't go outside and talk to his family last week, that we talked about? Doesn't that sound familiar? Does hearing this change anything for you? Does it change what you think you know? Well, let's talk about understanding Jesus. Do you really want to understand the rest of Jesus' teachings? Well, if you do, Jesus says it starts right here (laughs) with this one. Don't waste your time on the other ones until you get this one right. That's why Mark focuses on this so much. Once you get this one, the rest of the pieces of the theological Rubik's Cube begin to fall in line. And get this, and I mean this from personal experience. Once you get this parable, all those difficult passages start to make sense. True story. Simply put, this parable is about how some receive and some don't. Some get it and some won't. Some hear and some cannot hear. Does it trouble you? Is there a measure of spiritual anxiety when you hear divisive Jesus say things like this? Maybe we could just adjust Jesus' message a little bit. Make it a little more inviting. A little more fuzzy. A little more warm and cozy. A little more shareable on social media. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. If you don't care about what this passage is teaching, well, you better come next week for sure. (laughs) (laughs) It will be crucial for you to learn why you're not following Jesus today. And that's what we're going to talk about next week, all different types of soil. But if you are concerned about how important Jesus says this parable is, whether you completely understand it or not yet, the fact that you're concerned about whether you get it, that's a good sign. You know why? Because you're listening. You have ears to hear. That's why our Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. He is, this is beautiful, and I this, gets, this chills up my spine. You know what he's doing? He is calling his sheep, and they hear his voice voice my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me i give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand when jesus says he who has ear let him hear here's what he's saying if you're my sheep you hear my voice and you're going to follow could you imagine how the disciples must have felt when jesus said well you know this truth is for you especially for you i've enabled you to hear Isn't that cool? Wouldn't it be awesome if you could leave this church service today feeling that way? That's special? Wow, you're giving me hidden truth? To know that you aren't, get this now, to know that you aren't just part of the massive crowd that is curious, but you are actually a follower of Jesus who is concerned about hearing what Jesus says is the most important parable he's going to teach while he's on earth. And if you are here today with ears desiring to comprehend what Jesus says in this parable, listen to me, this is important, you have reason, church, to rejoice. If you are concerned about what your Jesus is saying, you have reason to be excited. The desire that you have to understand is your Jesus calling you. You don't fully understand it yet? That's okay. Your wanting to get it is just as important as actually getting it. Do you follow me? Do you understand what I'm saying? That desire to understand is Jesus calling you and you are hearing his voice. You aren't in the massive crowd just to follow Jesus out of curiosity and what the church can provide for you. You are actually one of his sheep. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and Jesus' parables contain hidden truth meant specifically for you. How humbling is that? Enjoy this moment right now that I'm talking about. It's an incredible comfort. Because your Jesus is saying, hey, this one's important. And when you have ears to say, whoa, if Jesus says it's important, I should probably try to listen. You'll put away your phone. You'll lean in just a little bit. You'll forget about what's getting ready to happen at 1135, 1145, or if I go long, 1150, <laughs> you're not worried about that anymore. You just want to say, if my Jesus says it's important, I better listen. Because your Jesus is calling you. You hear his voice, and you have a supernatural desire to understand what he is saying. Dear Jesus, I pray that every person in this room has ears to hear. I don't know if that's true or not. I could tell by the looks on some of their faces as they lean in and listen that they are interested. They, well, if Jesus says it's important, I better catch this. Jesus, thank you that you... Well, it's hard to say thank you that you're divisive. <laughs> but your whole ministry is about dividing the wheat from the chaff. About separating truth from untruth the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of this world. And if you say to us, if you understand this parable, all the other ones fall on the line, then we know this. We definitely want to hear it. Next week will be part two.